The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. The reason I wanted to go through this, this particular chapter is because of this passage we're in today. It was about this idea of putting to death the deeds of the body. There's a classic book in, in Christian literature. It's called The Mortification of the Flesh. Only mortification doesn't mean to make you feel mortified like you're very embarrassed. It means to kill the deeds of the flesh. That's what it's about. And I wondered, what in the world does that mean? In fact, let me read this passage to you. If you will turn there, in beginning in verse 12, uh, Paul writes, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We've explained, I think, over and over again that the flesh is a, is a picture of us and our fallenness before God. And uh, we, it's from the flesh that the desires of sin come from and so forth. But we all still have the flesh to deal with, even as Christians, no matter how mature you get. You can't have it eradicated, but what, listen to what he says. For if you are living according to the flesh, you, you must die. Quite literally, that expression means you're about to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Did you get that? The sons of God are those who are being led by the Spirit of God. Now, we just saw, I think it was back in verse 11, it says that if you don't have the Spirit, it's because you don't belong to Christ. The Spirit comes to every single believer. He comes to live within you. And the Spirit is the one who leads you in putting to death these deeds of the body. And we'll, we'll look at those in just a second here. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons. The Holy Spirit produces in you a deep sense of, and assurance that you are a child of God, that he is your father. Have you noticed that Jesus always told us to call God our father? And the reason is, is because when we came to believe on Christ, we became adopted sons. Adoption didn't mean that you bring somebody from outside the family and take them into the family. It meant that when you set forth a son as an adult son, and he represents the, the, the family, that was called adoption. In fact, the word itself means son placing. You would place the son before your community and say, this is my adult son, and I have all the confidence in the world in him. And then he says in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ, in order that we may be also be glorified with him. We're going to receive in the future when we enter into the presence of God we are told we're going to receive the glory of Jesus Christ. We're going to receive the blessings of his person upon us. We're going to live for eternity in the presence of God the Father, whom we call Father. Have you noticed that when you pray, you always say Father? Why is that? Well, it's because that's what the Spirit causes you to do. If you have the Spirit living in you, is you address God as your Father. He has brought you into the family, and you're one of his. Now, I want you to notice three things in this passage in verses 12 through 17. The first one is, we've been given a new obligation. Uh, in, if you, I don't know if this is in your notes. So, you know, it is in the handout. If you'll pull that little handout out, out of the uh, bulletin, you'll see. Um, our new obligation is put to death the deeds of the body. 
by being led by the Spirit. Now, let me say something. You have the Holy Spirit if you've believed on Christ. I've said this over and over and over again. I know you're getting tired of it, but it's just the truth. It's the glorious truth that you have the Holy Spirit. In fact, we're told that he is the only one who can produce within us what we need him to produce to be to live our lives as children of the Father. Life in the Spirit uh, is what we are experiencing right now as believers. We have the Spirit in us, and we are in the Spirit as the realm in which we live. Um, if you were to compare that to Jude 19, now Jude is a little book about apostasy. It's, it, it, Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. He was a human brother of Jesus. Uh, he was, his, they had the same uh, mother, but not the same father. And uh, Jude talks about apostasy, that people sneak into the church and lead it astray. And he says, these people are, this is the expression he uses, these people are devoid of the Spirit. That is, they don't have the Holy Spirit. In other words, the mark of a believer, a true believer, is you have the Holy Spirit living within you. That's what Paul has said here in this passage. So we have the Spirit living in us. And, and you heard this morning in the reading what the deeds of the body are. It's found in Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. He says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And sorcery, by the way, is pharmakia. It means taking, going for drugs that would alter your experience. And a lot of, a lot of religions use drugs. They have ancient, in ancient times and present times. So he's talking about seeking to have an experience through the use of drugs. Idolatry, sorceries, enmities. I'm sorry, that's the word, sorceries. That's the word for pharmakia. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? I thought salvation was free. It is. The evidence that you have been justified, that you have been brought into a relationship with God, is you got changed. You're not the same person you were before. You have different attitudes. You have a different way of living because the Spirit is living within you. If you think that you could continue to live in rebellion against God while the Holy Spirit is living in you, then you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you, is going to impact your life. And you will no longer, and this is what he's talking about here, is you have to, you have to depend upon the Spirit to empower you to, to put to death the deeds of the body. There are consequences of this new relationship in our daily life with, with Christ through the Holy Spirit. We're no longer debtors to the flesh. No longer we have to follow its dictates. In other words, I don't have to do what the flesh says. Have you noticed that your flesh is constantly giving you orders? It is. But we don't have to give in to it. Flesh is all that is characteristic of this life in its rebellion against God. And so we can feel those things. Did you see that thing this week about the uh, tearing down the wall? I don't know what was going on. What are they doing? They're finishing the task? Is that what's happening? Because they were hammering away on the Berlin Wall. But we remember when it went down, right? A good Republican president brought it down, huh? That's what you Republicans think. Um, well, 
that wall was removed. But imagine if some people in the east, east of the wall, under a communistic system, were to, and this did actually happen, where there were some people who wanted to escape from there, and they built a balloon. They actually built, created, they got the plans for it, and they built a balloon, a hot air balloon, and they got it up in the air, and it blew them west, and they went over the wall. What if they came down right on the other side of the wall, or even if they came down on the, other, on the east side of the wall, but all they could hear was the voices of their enemies telling them what to do? What if they presented themselves to their old slave masters instead of presenting themselves to those who they were going to live with in freedom? Is it possible for a believer to listen to the orders of the old realm? Yes, it is. In fact, we're told in 1 John chapter 2 that the, word, that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, Satan and the world system have influence. And they're constantly trying to influence to live in a way that's independent of God. We don't want to do what he says. And so therefore, we're trying to live in response to the commandments of the old guard, those that we used to serve, those that we used to live under. And so what Paul is telling us is God, want, God has given you the spirit. And he wants you to, through the spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. Now, I'm not going to try to give you some de- technical definition of how this works, but I do want you to know that putting to death the deeds of the body is a strong way of saying have things to the place where they have no influence in your life. They have no influence in your life, and you can only do it as the Spirit empowers you to. We have two things here. We have a command and a promise. The command is you have to put to death the deeds of the body. The promise is you will live that the Spirit of God will give you life. So there needs to be this radical obedience, put to death the deeds of the body. Now, Jesus was always blunt, wasn't he? Have you noticed that? And you read the Bible, he's very blunt. That is, he says things very straightforwardly. For example, in Matthew 5, 27, he says, if you're right, I offend you, what should you do with it? He gives you some glasses. What did he say? He said to pluck it out. Another place he said, if your right eye, if your, if, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Strip off the old man. Now, the old man is an expression used in Scripture of who we were before we came to Christ. We are supposed to put to death the deeds of the body because we are no longer the old man. He has changed our identity. How did he do that? The way he changed our identity is he joined us to Jesus Christ. And now our identity is, is, comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it in a very formal way so that when we baptize people in water, they're saying, I die to the old life I had. And we immerse them in water. When they come out, it's a brand new life. It's a picture of a brand new life. Now that water baptism can't do that, but it can commemorate it. We celebrate it. I'm not the person I used to be. God has changed me and he's given me the spirit as the primary mark of me being a follower of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit will let his presence be known. Did you know that? Do you have anybody in your family that's like that? If they're around, everybody knows it. Well, if the Spirit is in you, it will be obvious. Because the Holy Spirit has influence in our lives. Now, remember what... uh, this radical obedience that we are called to, we understand this isn't the basis of salvation. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. 
We are saved because God has done something for us. He sent his son into the world to represent us and to actually pay for our sins. And when he was resurrected, we're told that was the evidence that God accepted his payment for our sins. Our debt to God was removed. And so we stand before God and we're given this whole new identity. But if you remember in 2 Chronicles, you should, I'm sure you have heard this verse many times. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support, you get that? That he may strongly support those who, whose heart is completely his. That's radical obedience, isn't it? That God wants to support you in your battle with sin and with the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. So we receive this new obligation, and it's a heavy obligation, isn't it? In fact, that's the thing that's, that's uh, troubled me about this passage, is um, even though this has been historically a very traditional passage that, that people have taught and talked about, is that we are to put to death the deeds of the body. It's, called, it's sometimes called by Christian writers the mortality of the flesh, to putting, putting to death the deeds of the body. Now, I can never do that completely, but what he's talking about is that the Spirit can lead me to come to the place where I'm no longer living under the bondage of the deeds of the body. And all those things that I read to you from Galatians 5 are things that want to dominate you, that want to control your life. And he says that God gave us a Spirit so that we could be set free. Now, we have been given a life that's wonderful, and the Spirit has come to live within us, and so we have these desires these desires that will never be happy in living in contradiction to those desires. Can a believer sin? There's one honest person out there. We can sin, can't we? But, it, but is, there a, is there such a thing as a happy Christian who's living in sin? No. They may try to pretend to be, but they're not. There's no way. So we want to experience this deliverance that only the Spirit can bring. Now, God has given us the Spirit, he has come to live within us and to influence us, and he wants to, us to live our life under his influence. We have all kinds of, of words that are, are phrases that are used. We talk about the filling of the Spirit and uh, following the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and so forth. And they're all speaking about the, something very similar, and that is we want to live our lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what the, that's what the Jews did not like about Jesus. Jesus treated people in a way that they didn't approve of. He actually manifested love towards people that they thought he should hate. Do you know there aren't any? Did you know that there are no people you should be hating? And you say, well, wait a minute. What about this group of people here who live in total defiance to the law of God? What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to manifest before them the truth of what it's like to live in fellowship with the living God. And part of that is, I don't hate them. <laughs> Which is amazing, isn't it? See, that's what, remember Simon, the Pharisee, brought Jesus over to his house, fixed him a dinner, and the, they, this is how they would do it. The wealthy people would put their, they would eat in their courtyard, which was out in front of their home, and so people walking by could see what was going on. And so this woman's walking by, and she walks into the dinner between Jesus and this Pharisee. And she begins to weep. And, and cried, her tears fell on his feet, and she washed his feet with her hair and dried them with her hair. Now, Jesus knew 
that this was a responsibility that Simon had. When he brought him into his home, he should have had his servants wash his feet. And you wonder, man, I've never done that. Well, we don't walk around dirt. Well, I do walk down around dirt roads, come think of it. I live on one. They walked around on dirt trails in sandals. And so when they went into a, a home as a guest, that the master of the home would make sure that one of his servants would wash their feet. It was a, it was a common act of courtesy. But this man didn't wash Jesus' feet, and he didn't have his feet washed. But this woman from the street came in, and he knew that she was not a follower of the God of Israel. She didn't live like it. She lived in disobedience to the law. And she, so he couldn't understand, why isn't Jesus telling her not to touch him? Don't touch me. That's what he wanted. But instead, Jesus blesses her, if you remember. And she kisses his feet, and she tries to show affection towards him in every way she can because she's so grateful that her sins had been forgiven because she had believed the gospel message about Jesus Christ. And you see, he couldn't understand that. And so Jesus gives him a parable and tries to get him to understand what's going on here, that he didn't show him any kindness because he, he had no grateful heart that God had forgiven his sins because he hadn't believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is what we are called to do. We are called to relate to people as those who are, are fit to be saved by the grace of God. What I mean by that, fit to be saved, uh, is I don't mean that they meet all the requirements. I mean that they need salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you need salvation. You need to experience the forgiveness of sins. And you need to receive the Holy Spirit into your life. And he represents Christ in your life. Now the warning he gives here is that if you continue to live like you are under the dictates of the flesh, you will certainly die. In other words, it's a path to death. There's an expression in 1 John 5.16 that says, if you see a brother sin, pray for him. Unless he has sinned, the sin is a sin unto death. And he says, for that I don't tell you to pray for him. Now, that's a mysterious passage, and you can get people arguing over this. Let me just tell you what the right answer is. He's talking about, I'm, I'm kidding. I could be wrong, but this is what I, this is what I understand it to be saying that if a believer has sinned, a pattern of sinning that went on and on and on, and he had, he had come to the place where he was going to physically die because of that sin in his life, he says, I don't tell you to pray for him that God would forgive him because he hasn't repented. He hasn't turned from it. Um, but that's a hard one. Sin unto death. But what he says here is if you walk down this path of the, of the deeds of the flesh, you're going to die. Now, there is spiritual death and there is physical death. Spiritual death is the life that the Holy Spirit brings into your life, and you are alive to God because the Spirit lives in you. So you can see it would be impossible for a person to be a Christian if they didn't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives them life, and they are alive to God. Sometimes we make a distinction between eternal life which Jesus says is the kind of life that when you receive it, you will know God. It gives you the ability to know God in Jesus Christ. The other kind of life that's spoken about in the New Testament is resurrection life. It is the life that we receive from Christ because he's been made alive. 
And one of these days, we are going to be resurrected. We're going to enter into the presence of God. So when he says here that if you are living according to the deeds of the flesh, you are in a place that's going to bring you death. Think about this. Paul has given them firm, firm assurances to be, to, that they are justified believers. In fact, in this chapter, it tells us that, that we were placed into Christ so that we could be justified. And then the Holy Spirit was placed in us so that we could be sanctified. The difference between those two things is this. Justification is you coming to the place where God forgives you and he declares you to be absolutely righteous in his eyes. That's amazing. That's a miraculous work of God that by believing on Christ, we can come to have perfect righteousness in the eyes of God. Now, all of you have friends. Some of them are real easy for them to to, uh, praise you and talk about how great you are. And then you have other friends that are very critical because they notice all the little stuff about you that drives them crazy. But this is what we're told in this passage, that the God of the universe has declared us righteous because we have simply put our faith in Jesus Christ for our righteousness. How am I ever going to get the kind of righteousness that God would receive? It's only by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he gave me the Spirit so that he could produce righteousness in me, produce practical righteousness in me. He could change my lifestyle. Now, none of us are supposed to count on our lifestyle as the basis of our salvation. We, are to, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place. I had a cousin that I, one of the guys I've told you about before that I witnessed to, and when he started going to this church he, where he got saved, he said, the uh, pastor said to him, are you a believer? Are you a Christian? He goes, you know, I'd like to be, but I can't. He said, what do you mean? He says, I've tried it. I just can't do it. And he says, you totally misunderstand. It has nothing to do with what you're able to do. It has to do with what Christ has done. And that's true, isn't it? The reason all of you who have put faith in Christ are saved is because what Christ has done. And so you've received that as a gift simply by believing on him, trusting him. Do you really trust this Savior? And then he gave us the Spirit to actually do a work within us, to produce holiness in us, so that we would become agents of Christ in the way that we live. So Paul gives us all these assurances, but he also tells us we have to live a certain way in order to be happy. You cannot be a satisfied believer if you're not living in obedience to God's commands. I've been commanded to love all of you the way Christ loved you. And you know how, what that is, don't you? How he loved you? He gave up his life for you. He laid down his life for you. That's what he has commanded each one of us to do in regards to each other. That's his command. And he's told us a lot of things like this. He told us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, which means to love our fellow man as ourself. We're supposed to love people. That's, that's supernatural. It's impossible for us to do that if we live in the deeds of the flesh. We can't do that. We will naturally withhold love from certain people. In fact, I bet you I could have you take a piece of paper if you would do it. I'm not going to do it, but if you, I said take a piece of paper and write down the kind of people you don't want to have anything to do with. 
And you can do that. And, and probably we'd be impressed with your list. Those are unfit people. But what, what God says is, because I have forgiven you all your sins, I command you to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's absolutely supernatural, isn't it? Do you know that nobody could do that apart from the Holy Spirit? There's not a human being on the face of this earth who could do that without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the only one who could empower you to love your fellow man the way God has called you to do it. Because I've discovered, I've discovered this secret. There's something wrong with everybody. Have you noticed that? The reason I found that out is so many people told me what's wrong with me, and uh, I've been surprised that they could see that because I hide it pretty well. And yet he has called us to love one another. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's the reason that God's called you to live the kind of life where you're actually opening your eyes and seeing people as objects of his grace and people who need him, and then to become a witness for Christ to them. That doesn't mean because they show interest. It means because you show interest. It means because you can see that this person needs Christ and you see that he's on a path in his life where you and him or her are constantly uh, passing by one another. Here's somebody I could actually talk to about Christ. God's brought people in your life for that very purpose so that you could bear witness to them. Now, Romans 8.13 If you look at that that verse again, 8.13 says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You'll experience spiritual life. You'll experience the life that you were saved to experience. Everybody knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And it's quite literally eternal life. And we're told by Jesus in John 17, 3, that eternal life is the capacity to know God and to know Jesus Christ. And so he sent his son into the world so that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, will receive eternal life and their sins will be forgiven. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. I'm not offending anybody by this. I grew up in a church that taught you didn't have the Spirit until you had a certain experience. But then I ran into this passage, and I don't know how you can, I just don't know how verses, it's Romans 8, verses 9 and 10 are so clear that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. Now, he's called the Spirit of Christ there. Why? Because in other contexts, he's called the Spirit of God. Sometimes he's called the Holy Spirit. But he's always, it has to do with his relationship. What is his relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, remember, Jesus said he was the one who was going to send the Spirit. He told his disciples, it's good for you that I'm going away, because if I don't go away, I can't send the Spirit to you. And the Spirit, when he comes, he will lead you into all the truth. He will cause you to remember what I said. Boy, I wish I had that. Isn't it amazing how our forgetteries, this is what uh, Charles Feinberg told me one time. He says, your forgettery is always going to be better than your memory. And you know, he was a prophet. He he was exactly right. But think of it, that God has called you to this life, and he wants you to live it in its fullness. And what needs to happen is, 
I need the Holy Spirit to lead me in such a way that I can put to death the deeds of the body. And all that means, it's strong language, but what it means is they no longer rule you. Those lusts of the flesh no longer rule you. They don't dominate your life. He says these are matters to be matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion, that is all these laws, you know, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye and so forth. He says, these are matters which have a, to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. In other words, there, you can't cut these out. You can't go to a doctor and say, you know, I want you to, I want you to do a surgery on me. I want you to take out all the deeds of the body. They're down there somewhere. I'm not sure where. You can't do that. It's something that only you in the power of the Spirit can do. And so what I'm saying is, if, you, if some of these particular things are eating your lunch, you know what I mean by that? They're taking advantage of you. They're keeping you from experiencing the fullness of your Christian life. God wants you to know that the Spirit can lead you to the place where you can put those to death. Those don't have to dominate your life. You can have freedom. Now, that's not perfectionism. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Spirit's power to lead you. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but what does that mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, here's what I am convinced it is. It has to do with the Spirit's influence in your life. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 6, verse 20 through 25. My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about your exposure to truth. In this case, he talks about that truth was told to you by your father and your mother. That's, that's the leading of the Spirit. It's the Spirit working in a way of being, exposing you to the truth. And he wants to empower you to live by it. He says, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs for discipline are a way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. Sorry, ladies. That was just in the text. But do you understand what I'm saying is that the Spirit of God can empower you to gain victory over the deeds of the flesh, and he wants you to do that. He wants you to trust the Spirit to empower you, to live free from that domination. I once had an experience. I had a guy show up in my office, and it was over at Grace Bible Fellowship when I was there, and this guy came in. I knew him real well. He said, I need to talk to you. I, I need to repent, and I need to get right with God. And I go, wow, wonderful. We sit down, and I started talking to him and trying to get from him what is going on. And right in the midst of it, I noticed he was real nervous. And he said, you know what? I can't do this. I'm sorry. I, I got I to gotta get out of here. And he gets up and leaves. I found out about six months later, because he, he told me, he said what was happening was he was on the way home, and he said I was so burdened with my life and how I was living in disobedience to Christ continually. And he said, I drove by this field, and I threw all my drugs out into the field. And he said, then I got to your office and I began to think, you know what? I don't know if my name's on those things. I'm not sure if somebody found that, they wouldn't be able to trace it back to me. And so he decided it wasn't time for him to repent. 
<laughs> so he went back and got those and put them in his trunk and filtered through them and was able ultimately to throw them away and he repented. But aren't we like that? Aren't we like that? We, we can see the truth of what God wants us to do and yet we also want to wait. You know, it's like when you believe in Christ, basically what you're doing is signing a, a blank check. You're saying, I'll give, I will do anything. I will live for you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Didn't you have that kind of attitude when you turned to Christ? I want to live for you only. But then you think, well, wait a minute. Maybe things are going to change. I shouldn't jump too soon here. That's what this guy was doing. He ultimately did repent, and he turned away from those things that were dragging him down and keeping him in this, in this condition of being at a distance from God. And so this is what Paul is telling us, that we must follow the Spirit, follow the, in, the influence of the Spirit, and the way that the Spirit influences me, I think based on Proverbs chapter 6, is that he, experience, he influences me through the wisdom that comes through all kinds of people. The first person who ever shared the gospel with me was my mother. And she made it so clear to me. I was very mature. I was four years old in kindergarten in Oakland, and I still remember it. And she taught me the song, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And, and she did that because she wanted to explain to me what that phrase meant, because he first loved me. And she told me how he first loved me. <laughs> well, that, that was wisdom from God. Now, don't waste your wisdom on a four-year-old, typically. But, but I got to tell you, that was the beginning of me coming to understand the gospel. I believed the gospel. I believed on Christ. But when those battles came with the deeds of the flesh, I didn't know what to do about it. I've talked to so many guys, especially, who've gone through this kind of uh, machinations where they were they were just so seemed so vulnerable to a certain temptation they decided that was just going to be one of those areas in their life that they were going to have to always keep it secret i don't know if you this happened to you but i grew up in a in a kind of church where the most important thing to do was keep your sin secret because if you didn't it was going to cost you big time i'm afraid too many christians have learned to live like that because what god wants to do is to set us free he wants to set us free from those things that bind us and hold us and keep us from living free as, a, as an agent of Jesus Christ. You know, when you hear all those things about the fact that we're all ambassadors of Jesus Christ, that you have been appointed as an ambassador, you're supposed to represent him. He's put people in your path so that you could speak to them about Christ. We hear that kind of stuff, and it's like, I can never do that. I can't do that. I can't be involved like that. Oh, no, God is telling you, I'll empower you to do this. I'll empower you to do this. But you have to be walking in fellowship with him. You have to be walking in a, a lifestyle in which you actually know him and trust him and believe him. And the first thing you think of when you see a person who's struggling is, you know, I want God to use me to encourage you, to build you up, and to get you on the right path. I had a, something that's always amazed me. I had this uh, a friend, so it was a friend of mine, his, his girlfriend. She was older than me, probably three or four years older than me, but she used to always encourage me to follow Christ when I was 13, 14, 15 years old. She would take me and my cousin to these youth meetings in different places. They'd have some big meeting, and she would always arrange it so she'd come and get us and take us. 
And it was all because she wanted us to follow Christ. See, that's a disciple maker, isn't it? And you know that he's called all of us to make disciples. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not supposed to be making disciples. God's called us. He's appointed us to make disciples. But one of the problems, if I'm dominated by these deeds of the flesh, I don't want to create somebody like me, if that's the characteristic of my life. You know what I mean? I want them to see what it's like to walk freely in Christ, that he can empower you. He can enable you. He can fill your heart with real life and joy. And so as you read Romans 8, I hope you read this passage again. As you read it, take it seriously. This is what God wants to do for you. He wants to set you free from the deeds of the body so that you can live, really live as a disciple maker of Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to. And there's probably somebody in your life right now that if God worked in your life and your eyes were open, all of a sudden you would see immediately, I need to talk to him. I need to talk to her. See, that's, what, that's why God saved you, is to use you for eternal purposes. That's what he's called us to. So let's pray for each other. Our Father, we bow our heads and our hearts before you. We ask you as a member of this local fellowship, this body of believers that we love and care for, we ask you, Father, that you would use each one of us as agents in your hand, Father. We pray that, that you would give us victory over those things that dominate our lives and keep us from having freedom, keep us from feeling free to step forward and say, I want to tell you about Jesus because we're so afraid they're going to look at us and say, you've got to be kidding me. Who do you think you are telling me about Jesus? It doesn't seem to me that you even know who he is. Father, please work in our lives. Give us freedom from these enslaving things in our lives, we pray. Set us free so that we can experience the power of the Spirit in our lives, bearing witness to Jesus Christ. I pray that you would make us a disciple-making church. We pray that you would use us to bring the gospel to people all around us. And I know that our biggest problem is not timidity. Our biggest problem is our hearts. And we pray that you would work in our hearts. Open our hearts, Father. We pray that you would heal us by your mighty spirit and give us the power to bear witness to Jesus Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.